Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Almost Sideways Movie Podcast. Today, we have a good card lined up for you, everybody. So making its way to the ring with a total filmography of 5,000 plus movies watched, the king of the cager, we have Todd Bucknett. What's going on? And his opponent, <laughs> making his way to the ring, known as the red-headed freak, the host of the Daily Notes portion of the podcast, Adam Daly. So who's actually in the red corner though? You got the red hair. I got the red, uh, the big red on my on my shirt. So I mean, hey, that's a good point. Good point. <laughs> man, how you been, man? How you been? Oh, you know, you know, hanging in there. You know, you know, FedEx is a bitch right now. You know, <laughs> you can't deliver shit with the snow. Well, go figure. Yeah, that's a, that that would that would do it. That snow snowmageddon up here up in Washington. You know, we're recording this on a Sunday. No, well, this is a Saturday at six o'clock on the twelfth. No, the thirteenth. My days are all messed up with the snow. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast and having a one-on-one conversation with you and get into our our deep dive because I think you and I are by far the ones who love this movie the most of the other two yeah, guys. Yeah, of anybody I know, really. <laughs> Yeah, and I, you know, I, I've, I've been excited to watch this one, especially the other conversations we'll be having in a second. But yeah, the wrestler man, it's just a. If you didn't know, we're, we're deep diving the 2008 version of the wrestler, directed by Darren Aronofsky. Uh, yeah, this is just a freaking masterpiece movie. Every as I was watching it again today, I was like, man, this movie is just so good. <laughs> I can't wait to get into it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it has slowly moved up my ranks. I guess actually rather rapidly because I mean it only came out twelve years ago. But yeah, it's it's gonna be fun to to deep dive because I mean there's a lot of things to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess the first thing because uh, we haven't last time we talked was on the the best movies of the list, and I don't know best movies of uh, the twenty twenty. Have you seen any movies recently that have snuck up on your list that had a possibility of making on your 2020 list recently? Well, uh, that we, I mean, we may be talking about on a future episode, but one that I did watch that was on your list that I did actually really love as well. Nice. Was, okay. We'll, we'll talk uh, about that in a second, but I just okay. want to, okay, but that's, if that's the movie that I recommend. I, I, I know, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any updates on my top 10 just yet, no. Yeah, same here. But I guess I don't, you know, I try to keep it a little different than what you guys do on your guys, but we're going to make, this is an almost sideways deep dive. So we have to start off with, what are you drinking, Todd? Okay, so, I mean, it is really cold outside. So I'm drinking the Jack Daniels Winter Jack, which is a Tennessee cider. Hell yeah. And, but it's only like 30 proof. So I put a shot of bourbon in there just for you, Adam. So I should get my whiskey out of the closet too. But I, you know, I figured this is a good one to try to drink some of the stuff I had too. I got the Elysium Bifrost because we have Snowmageddon up here. So I might oh, as well yeah. just drink some uh, Bifrost. This is definitely a better beer than probably the beers that Mickey Rourke was drinking in this movie. Jeez. We... 
Exactly. Just yeah, he he wanted he wanted to take her to one beer, and uh, it, it was some like atrocious looking beer. So yeah, it, you did it right this time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think I was like, don't go trashy. Stay, keep it classy up in this podcast thing. Uh, anyway, so let's move into our first segment. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways Movie Podcast. My name is Adam. I'm joined by my good buddy. Let's see this way. No, no, this way. Todd Plucknett of the Almost Sideways Podcast. We have two movies that we're going to be reviewing for you guys today and two movies that have appeared on either one of our top 10 movies. And I guess I'll start it off first because one movie that appeared on your top 10 list, Todd, of the last of 2020 was Belushi, the Showtime documentary. And I believe this was number 10 on your list. If I Correct. Um, Correct. Okay. So I could say, uh, Belushi, this is an awesome documentary. And I think you compared it to Montage of Heck, the Kurt Cobain documentary. I totally love that comparison because I didn't really know exactly what I was getting myself into. I know that you raved about the movie, but the animation style is some of the best of the year. I love how it's uh, very Belushi looking. I, I loved how, how they animated him and really kind of told this story throughout the, the runtime of the film. And definitely a tragic story for Belushi, um, you know, he was a really funny actor. I know I remember watching Animal House quite a bit. And, you know, I'm not a huge fan of that film, but, you know, I saw it much later when it was first originally came out. And But you can't you can't deny the the charisma that Belushi does bring to everything. And I remember watching a bunch of his stand-up sketches and stuff, and he's a charismatic guy. And it's just it's really awesome to see his rise, but really tragic to see his fall. And I think how the, the documentary was able to play out on screen was, had me riveted and I was like, obviously glued watching it because it's a, it's an actor that I do know and I respect a lot of this comedic work and man, it was, it was really sad, especially when, you know, Dan Aykroyd's up on there talking about that. He, he was writing a spot for him in Ghostbusters, which would have totally have changed that movie. Who would have known like this? Is he part of the group? Is he going to be Rick Rick? Rick Moranis is he's part of is he Ghostbuster character who knows but that would have changed the dynamic of that 80s film and you know seeing the other cast members pop up that like Diane, uh, Diane Keaton no no that's not Jane Curtin sorry I don't know why I said Diane Keaton Jane Curtin <laughs> pop up there uh, and hear, tell the stories and plus his brother and his family and uh, talk about him and it's really really sad you know obviously he was gone too soon uh, of course a lot of talented genius comedics or people in general do leave us way too soon sooner we would like them but i think belushi is a really fascinating interesting documentary that it's an easy 3.5 stars out of uh rating for me it's i think it's i'm sitting at route round uh four number 14 of the year for me so really ranked up pretty high for me on my overall 2020 list i thought it was a really really good done documentary i like seeing these stories of you know famous people that are kind of tragic, unfortunately, and you learn more about them too. So I thought this was a very great documentary. So if you haven't checked out Belushi on Showtime, check it out. You can also rent it on Amazon too. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I love that movie because like, I, I'm not necessarily the biggest John Belushi fan. Like I haven't seen that much of his stuff, but like what yeah. I love is like the early footage of him and how in, they make it clear that like, he was really proud that he had yeah. like a number one record, uh, you know, because he, he wanted to be like the triple threat, like he was going to be like uh, the best in everything. And he took really high pride in like everything that he did. And he was going to be he, he, when he got his his part in, Spiel, in uh, Spielberg's movie, you know, that he was like, he's like, hey, you know, I never have to worry about money again. Like I could do whatever I want now. I could I can make my own stuff like I, 
I, I love the rise and fall of John Belushi. It is an amazing story. And it actually got me looking at other stuff um, that was uh, connected to the thing that it was based on. And uh, I saw that like Robert De Niro and, and, uh, and Robin Williams are both there the night of his death wow. and stuff. And like, I, I had no idea about any of this stuff and it, it, it doesn't cover it in the actual documentary because it's about like, that would kind of uh, derail it in a sense. But uh, it, it really makes everything about his story is just so tragic. And, and so it also kind of like triumphant at the same time. Like he was an amazing performer and he was born to be on the screen. Yeah, geez, yeah, yeah. What a what a guy. He kind of like him, John Candy, Chris Farley, all these free, really funny comedians, like on top of their prime. It seems like they just they left us too soon. And I definitely want to would like to see more of them, of course. But unfortunately, you know, we didn't we we don't. And but here seeing the story, the story play out, man, it, it was very fascinating. And I'm, I'm really glad I was able to watch it. So thank you for the recommendation, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you actually watched it. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't did. expect the, the same from the other people on our podcast, you know, but you know. <laughs> the, hey, the, the, the challenge is thrown out to you guys. Now it's your turn. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I recommended a movie that documentary appeared on my list. It kind of ties in perfectly to our deep dive that we're doing. Uh, and that is You Cannot Kill David Arquette. So tell me what you thought. This appeared at number five on my list of the year. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'm a big fan of this movie too. I'm, I'm really glad that you mentioned it because I never even heard of it. Like, <laughs> I, I guess if you don't know, it's about it's a look at sort of David Arquette who was like promoting a wrestling movie at the the height of his like relative fame, and but and then he was like thrown into the wrestling world plot by by winning the title, which kind of was seen as a joke to everybody in the sport, but also seen as a joke to everybody who was following his acting career. And so he decides eventually to make a return to the sport, starting at the bottom and working his way up just so he could be seen as something not of a, as a joke, I guess, or and someone who deserves respect or like someone who wasn't just given everything because of what his name is. Yeah. And I found the movie fascinating to watch. Like he is he goes out almost anonymous, which I think was actually by design. It reminded me a little bit of like the Joaquin Phoenix thing. I'm still here. But without like the blatant like messing with the audience and pranking the yeah. people in the public eye, he uh, I mean you get the idea that he would have done this regardless of if the cameras were on him or not. I I feel like he wanted back in that world. He wanted to have that respect that because I think I feel like he, he thought his name was completely dragged through the mud. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of Glow in ways where he's like you know uh, relearning how to do things and like ha how to be athletic and like the performance art of the sport at the same time. And I also thought it, it could have almost be like the, the story of Tim Tebow where he like relatively failed at like pro football. So he decides to come back up through the minors and like, uh, and uh, you know, start playing baseball, which is like seen as sort of a joke because he's taken up a spot of somebody who actually deserves to be there. But, he, but it's also not necessarily a publicity stunt because he actually is kind of good, but uh, everyone has like this, like this disdain and criticism because just of who he is. Uh, I, I think the movie is really fun to watch and it has a lot of ups and downs. I, I also think it's sort of like difficult to watch at the same time. Uh, it is like fully committed method acting by uh, by David Arquette, even though he's not acting, he's actually doing these things. But yeah. the weirdest thing I think about the movie is actually that uh, his current wife looks so much like his ex-wife that it's scary <laughs> like courtney cox and his current wife have the exact same everything the exact same eyes the exact same hair and yeah, i was like weird. I, it was kind of like disturbing 
but yeah, I, I, I really like this movie. It's, uh, it's my current number four documentary of the year. It's a three and a half star movie. I, 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 it's a, it's a great movie. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that yeah. you turned me onto it because I would have never come across it. Yeah, it's it's, it's such a niche little thing too. It's not just like a documentary; it's a wrestling documentary, which is you know I, I have been known to like these because I, you know, I grew up watching it, and you know I'm not like a diehard into it now, even though I'm wearing a wrestling shirt, <laughs> which is funny. But uh, yeah, it, it's something about this movie I just really just like drew me in because i you know i i know that david arquette won this and i remember it not really remembering happening at the time but remember hearing stories about it and watching old footage of it and which is definitely like something that totally everybody hated and seeing him come up and do actually do these things and was pretty freaking crazy uh what did you think about that death match at the the end because he had no idea what it was from interviews that he's done afterward anyway what do you think about that Went the death match, where he like freaking got cut like pot like his oh. uh, yeah he got the the light well, yeah I mean and that that's what I was talking about about the I mean that is like serious method because he was like off the stage and he knew that he was like he got cut in a, in a bad spot and I was like I was like I was like shit what is he gonna do and he actually went up and he finished it <laughs> and then he took off I was like I was like damn like that that is like gives me respect because like I always thought like David Arquette was in the same uh realm for me as like david Duchovny, where i never understood why they were famous and but i mean i now i get it now like david arquette i mean he's a badass <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it, it's crazy like in his wrestling stuff he actually went and did it and he actually ranked one of the best in the world and people actually re like really respect him now because he actually hey he paid his dues and he actually doing all this stuff i also really loved the, him fighting on the streets of tijuana i thought that was like what the heck like that's so crazy that's yeah. so odd <laughs> <laughs> yeah in traffic <laughs> in traffic and the first time he's like oh, oh, oh no money oh okay I, I get it i get it no money <laughs> well i'm horrible i get it i get it but yeah it's, it's really a really cool documentary if you guys haven't you cannot kill david arquette both 3.5 star movies, Belushi and You Can't Kill the Arquette. So something if you haven't watched those movies, you should definitely watch them because they are some of the best of the year. All right. I'm glad that I have someone that I can actually agree with on these movies. There we go. Yeah, because who knows how the other guys would thought. Hey, challenge is thrown out. Both of those movies need to be watched by Terry and Zach now. So get it done, guys, so we know what the actual best movies of the year are. Um Anyway, I think that's a great great idea too. Instead of like, you know, we should watch all the other people's top tens because some of those never get watched. Especially like, I can't remember anything from last year, but I know there's movies that were appear on everybody's list. Like, oh yeah, the Sun and the Moon, like the uh, the Alex Wolf movie, I think, or Nate Wolf. Oh yeah, the, the yeah. Cat and the Moon. That's what it is. Yeah, the Cat and the Moon that you had on your like, I think in your top ten last year. I still haven't. It's been sitting on my Amazon queue for forever for a whole year and i still haven't watched it yet so we got to get on this stuff so okay apparently nobody else has either it still has very limited views on imdb so there we go another shot <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, to everybody right. who is on imdb watch these movies yeah. <laughs> exactly all right well i guess we should that's an easy transition wrestling documentary into the wrestler from 2008 directed by Darren Aronofsky is it not celebrating an anniversary. It's just one of those movies that, you know, you and I both love that has crept, crept up on our top 100 movies of all time list and just thought we should definitely talk about it. So uh, yeah, and here is the wrestler. If you're listening on podcast, here's the trailer.
One, two, rail! Really good, you really brought it. Thank you, thank you. You hang in there, you got a lot of ability. Have you ever seen a one-trick pony in fields so happy and free? If you ever well, I was wondering if I could get some more work. All I got is weekends. Isn't that when you sit on other dudes' faces? Have you ever seen a one-legged dog? You have a beer with me? <laughs> one beer. If you've ever seen Can you have a daughter? Oh, my daughter, she don't like me very much. You should call her. And you seen me. What do you want from me? I'm an old, broken-down piece of meat, and I deserve to be all alone. I just don't want you to hate me. Two words, three, match. Bring it. You know, with a little luck, this could be my ticket back on top. 80s man, best ever. Guns N' Roses. Crew. Yeah, then that Cobain had to come around and ruin it all. <laughs> 90 sucked. 90 sucked. These things that have comforted me, I drive away. My only faith's in the broken bones and bruises I display. You know, the only place I get hurt is out there. I'm really here. This life, you can lose everything you love, everything that loves you. A lot of people told me that I'd never wrestle again. The only one who's gonna tell me when I'm through doing my thing is you people here. That'll work. Come here. <laughs> ah. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Almost Sideways Movie Podcast. My name is Adam, and I'm joined by my other host of the Almost Sideways pod- Podcast. Oh, wait. Other way. This is Todd. How's it going? <laughs> awesome. Yeah, and we are here to review, we are back to review the 2008 film, The Wrestler, directed by Darren Aronofsky, sorry, Mickey Rourke, Marissa Tomei, and just, just a fantastic film, and Evan Rachel Wood, we should mention her as well, because she's a, a fantastic in her scenes in this movie. Uh, so I guess I'll throw it over to Todd. Todd, what's this movie about, and uh, what's your first overall thoughts about it? So the movie is about a wrestler or a former wrestler who was famous in the 80s. His name is Randy the Ram. And uh, that is played by Mickey Rourke in one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. He, uh, the movie starts with like this montage of like uh, newspaper clippings of the 80s about when he was like the, the hottest wrestler in the world. There were even video games made after him. And then it cuts to his present day, which is in 2008. He is broken down. He has heart problems. He has a lot of health problems. And he learns that, or he pretty much realizes that wrestling is not uh, his long-term future. So he has to, or he, he is sort of forced to like face his life. Uh, he tries to reconnect with his estranged daughter. He tries to... Um, make a relationship with this uh, stripper played by Marissa Tomei. uh, And uh, it it really is like the story of somebody who is at the height of their fame and is like learning to live with the slow, inevitable decline of their life. And this movie absolutely destroyed me the first time I watched it. I remember watching it in the theater in 2008 
and or it might have been early 2009 when it actually got to me but it was it was something else and i was i i mean i was immediately emotionally invested i'm not a pro wrestling fan the way adam is but i absolutely was mesmerized by this movie i actually did a term paper about darren aronofsky in college um and um i mean this is his masterpiece like i mean his career had like the his like really showy new age directing uh, gimmicks uh, that were either really successful in Requiem for a Dream or they were like disasters like in The Fountain. But this one, mm-hmm. he like calms down, he lets the story breathe and it is just like a really unflinching look at the story that I feel like only he could really do because he still really had the the same tendencies he did before. He just didn't have like the, the ridiculous gimmicks that he did. And But it's just as painful to watch it because he still has the violence and the after effects of the violence, but it's without the brutality that, that, that really makes it different. And I, I don't know, I'm probably the biggest Aronofsky fan on the planet, but I, I, I mean, I think this movie is amazing. It's moved into my top 10 of all time. It's, it's basically a perfect movie and it's, it's like, it's almost poetic the, the way it's told with the, with the music, with the directing, with the performances. It, I mean, it is, it is top notch in every way. Wow, I'm I'm so happy to hear you say it. another person has put this in their top ten of all time movies because it's up there with me too. So uh, this movie is fantastic, and like as a, having that background in wrestling too, uh, who's, who's not you know I've keep up with it. Don't necessarily watch it every day, you know, or anything like that, but keep up with my the, my favorite wrestlers, see what they're doing, type of thing. Some see some matches and stuff, and seeing that you know this film really accurately depicts the life of you know the life after your prime is over and having to deal with that especially when people that's all they know their whole entire life is this fame and getting your doing your matches and your body's breaking down like he says he's a he's a a busted down broken piece of meat in this movie that's basically what he is but he's addicted to this the fame the fans that love that they give the pop of the crowd and all addicted to other things most likely as well and uh, that's all he knows in his life. And we see him, you know, not just as a wrestler, but we see him as a guy who works at a Acme grocery or some Acme store or whatever. I was waiting in for like, the deli. road run. Yeah, in the deli, a broken down piece of meat. He's serving meat, kind of an interesting comparison there. But anyway, uh, let's, let's quickly mention Darren Aronofsky here. I don't think this movie really works without him. But you're definitely right. He is very controlled in this one. Uh, he, you know, tells he lets the story play out and doesn't try to like do some anything really gimmicky. I think if he was trying to really do anything any gimmicky stuff, I think the wrestling community would have really called him out for him. And I don't think this maybe would have been as powerful as the movie actually would have been if he would have done something silly with it. Um, uh, but that's that's kind of talk with the guy's filmography. I know you guys kind of do a power rankings, and we didn't really discuss this at all. But I kind of thought this would be a kind of an interesting time to talk about him because I know we've you guys reviewed Mother a while ago when that came out, and oh yeah, um, I I know I haven't seen Pie, uh, but I've seen the other movies that he's done. Uh, have you you've seen all of his movies? I take it. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, all I remember right. after I watched this movie is what it actually inspired me because I didn't really have an idea for that term paper. It was it was like a intro to film class and i was like and i was just like i was so high on the wrestler i was like okay this is gonna be my thing and i I even said in that thing i was like he is like on the brink of something great and then then eventually like his next movie got him his most oscar love 
with oh, yeah, Black, Black Swan. Swan. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, I was right on with. I, I knew that he was on the right path. He's so much better with that low budget than he is uh, with a big budget. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what what movie of his, other than The Wrestler, do you think is like one of his best works so far? I mean, I, I love Requiem for a Dream. Yeah. I mean, we, we did a deep dive on that too. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> which, I mean, I, I think that's one of the best movies of two thousand. But I mean, if you're not if you're not talking about the wrestler in Reckon for a Dream, which are his two absolute best movies, if you're looking at something a little bit more on the fringe, I mean, I mean, I guess he he doesn't make that many movies, honestly. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I I don't I, I think I think the Fountain and Noah are kind of bad, but yeah. I, I can I can appreciate them at the same time. I think Pi is really interesting, hmm. uh, but. I don't know. Am I missing something? I remember he he wrote a movie called Bereft in like two thousand and like two or something like that that I watched, and that was bizarre because it was something that he didn't have creative control over. <laughs> wow, he directed an episode of Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> wait, no, wait, are you serious? <laughs> in nineteen ninety one, right there, Supermarket Sweep. Aronofsky. I don't even see that, but yeah, there it is. But yeah, <laughs> seventeen minute long episode. Of supermarket sweep, All right. uh, yeah, I did weird. not see that one. No, I did. Yeah, <laughs> I probably, I probably caught a rerun of that. Um, no, he, he's. I think he's only directed seven okay. movies as of now. There's probably one he's working on, maybe. Um, but yeah, I think I, I haven't seen Pi. But my least favorite one probably be Noah, and then The Fountain. Then I would probably go Mother, Black Swan, Requiem, and The Wrestler. The wrestler and Requiem are in my top 100. I will say that. So they're fantastic movies. So his highs are really high. His lows, don't think they're the worst movies ever made. I just didn't care for the choices that he did in those movies. So you can still appreciate some stuff that the guy did as a director, even Mother, which is a very controversial film to love or hate. Um, some some uh, balls that he took, some cojones, as if it were <laughs> some uh, some big cojones, if if you were will uh, to make that film and just put it out there. I think there's some really cool things to like about that movie. I'm not a big fan of it. Uh, I appreciate people like Zach who really, uh, you know, champion that movie. And I don't know. I haven't really had the urge to rewatch that movie since I've watched it in theater. Cause I was like, WTF, what, what the hell's happening? <laughs> but but yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very uh, interesting director to watch his film. So I think he does some stuff in there that gets you talking. I think that as being almost always a place of movie conversation. That's a good place. That's a good thing to have for a director. If you're not talking about the movie after the fact, then I guess it's not really worth talking about much. So we do have his films that always spark conversation. It seems like, uh, anyway, let's, let's dive into the wrestler here and let's start off with our first category. You guys always start off with the highest war performance, which is the most irreplaceable person in the, the cast or, there's a lot of good choices, I think, in this one. I think the three, top three, I think that you have to go with Mickey Rourke, of course. And I'll start off with yeah. Mickey Rourke. I, wow. What a performance that he had. Obviously, everybody talked about it as the most, like, Oscar, like, what the heck moment, like, ever. Like, he didn't win. I have some theories of why he didn't win, and we'll talk about that in conspiracies uh, later on. Because um, I kind of know some information from a podcast wrestling podcast that i listen to uh, that might shine some light on that subject uh oh jeez uh -oh. <laughs> i'm even teased by that yeah <laughs> we'll back up a second okay anyway um 
but yeah, Mickey Rourke, my goodness, uh, this he reminded me so much of seeing these old older wrestlers who are big stars in the 80s, 90s. Hulk Hogan comes to mind, Ric Flair, these guys who are way past their prime, still in the wrestling game, still wrestling. Ric Flair is, is one of the greatest world champions of all time in wrestling from three different decades. Uh, he's the, he's won the most championship belts or whatever, and he just appeared on TV last week. Um, he's in a rivalry with his daughter, Charlotte Flair, who is <laughs> – uh, he's not fighting her, mind you. He he has another blonde daughter, another blonde woman fighting his blonde daughter, because WWE loves their blonde, tall, blonde women. So uh, yeah, that's it's interesting to see Ric Flair still on TV, still uh, f- flying and profile and starting his stuff all the time. You know, doing his his famous catchphrase and going woo all the time. But anyway, uh, I think I, I get a lot of uh, that his vibes. The Randy the Ram uh, Robinson's fan, uh, vibes in this movie from like Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan guys who were way past the prime still doing it because you know they're addicted to it they can't get out of it they they're known for this they just keep doing it until their body just shuts down uh, so Mickey Rourke for me I think the best my favorite scene non wrestling uh, scene fighting scene in this one was when he's doing that autograph signing. And it, it's uh, with all the busted down wrestlers. There's a guy with a catheter, guy in uh, you know using the yeah. cane, the guy with the the wheelchair. What a sad scene! And you just we just watched you you know if you can't kill Dave Arquette, there's that the autograph signing scene there. That's super cringe where he's trying to get his autograph signed and no one wants them. <laughs> uh, those guys are not nearly as broken down, but you can imagine they're probably wearing some battle scars there too. But yeah, Mickey Rourke definitely deserved a lot of the awards. Uh, Zach wanted us to mention his film independent or a, you know, spirit award that he won that that his his speech was uh, pretty money. So I'll probably play that (laughs) at some point in this episode, but uh, who's your highest war in the film there, Todd? I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, there's only one answer. It's Mickey Rourke. I mean, Mm -hmm. Because I know the movie was not written for him. It was actually written for Nichols Cage, which makes that category completely easy. This He would obviously play that part. But the movie... Well, I didn't was, know that. Yeah, it was written for Nichols Cage, but Aronofsky wanted Rourke, so Cage decided he's like, okay, I'll drop out because, I mean, I think that Mickey is better for it. And, yeah. he did, and uh, Nichols Cage also said that he wouldn't uh, take steroids and that he said it's the only way that he could get in the kind of shape to be that that character. So I think Nicholas Cage would have been fascinating. So, I mean, that's obviously you know, who Nicholas Cage would play. He would play the Ram, but Mickey Rourke, uh, it, the movie was eventually shaped around him because he, he, yeah, it was like, um, it, it eventually reveals itself to be sort of a parallel to his life. It's kind of hard to deny that. And like, he just has this natural charisma of a born performer. Like yeah. the, the scenes with the old fans, the scenes with like the kid, the scenes with, uh, him at the deli it's just somebody who's just like riffing it's like the only time like since the 80s that you get that like magnetism from mickey rourke that like reminded everybody that this is the next brando because that's what everyone thought in the 80s like he this is the next brando he was that good he's this big imposing muscular force of an amazing actor and he was obviously lost in the 90s which is awesome because like him and mercy are like yeah the 90s suck you know and like that's that's totally what Mickey Rourke probably thinks because like he was gone for that whole decade and he kind of ruined his career and he came back and this is the resurgence like uh, of a lifetime and it's it's an amazing a like I mean it's a performance that all like I'll never forget the first time I was watching it he uh 
I, I, I love Sean Penn and Milk, but like the fact that he built, he, he beat Mickey Rourke just has yeah. always stung. Like, I mean, I, it makes me kind of disrespect Milk in a little, uh, in some way, which I shouldn't because that's a great movie too. But like, yeah, Mickey Rourke, I mean, come on. Yeah. I guess we should probably just tra- uh, transition. To, I guess there's a comparison piece you could mention too. I think I should mention this as 2008 happened. You have Iron Man show up there, kind of two actors, Robert Downey Jr. and Mickey Rourke, both kind of play themselves on in cinema. Obviously, Downey has done that for all, you know so many years up leading up to Endgame, and he probably will come back at some point into the MCU um, as an artificial intelligence or something like that. Um, uh, but you know, there's easy comparisons between those two characters, uh, two actors with their characters they portray, and it's it's fascinating. I think obviously. Well, a lot of people might find this odd, especially if you followed my, any of my stuff on YouTube before. I think Mickey Rourke is far superior than Robert Downey Jr. I don't, I'm not a big, I, I, I like Iron Man, but I was always, a, I'm a Captain America fan. So, uh, so sure. I, I think, yeah, Mickey Rourke is by far, you know, like that performance definitely is amazing. And it's, it's, it's sad that he hasn't done really anything of note since really. He's appeared in other stuff, but Iron Man 2, he got in that film because probably of uh, the wrestler, but they kind of wasted his character with Disney really wanting to push the you know the time frame to get that movie out sooner. When Favreau wanted three years, they got, gave him two. But uh, anyway, uh, I, I think the good thing what we should mention, because we mentioned Milk already, the Oscars of that year. Uh, I remember sitting down watching the Oscars only for really one reason. I wasn't really into film as much as I am now. And so I just was watching to see if the movies I watched, you know, got any awards. And of course the one that everybody was wondering what, what would have happened was the dark Knight, and I, with Heath Ledger. And, uh, you know, he won of course, but then of course, then immediately I went to the wrestler and to see, do I have that? That's the same Oscar ceremony, right? Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, you were looking at me. I was like, okay, did I just do this? Screw that up? <laughs> okay. Anyway. So I, after Heath Ledger won, of course, I was like, I hope I'm hoping the wrestler won and with Mickey Rourke and that didn't happen. And I was like, I, I kind of didn't want to watch ever watch milk because of that. And then I eventually I have watched and it's a good movie. I don't think Sean Penn nearly as good as, as Mickey Rourke, but uh, it's good. That's kind of does sting a little bit. So I definitely relate to what your thoughts on that was. So, what did you think about that that year's Oscars? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I was really disappointed when uh, the wrestler only got those two nominations for Best Actor and Best Supporting Actress. I I thought that there easily could have been another maybe three or four, including like Best Picture. I, I remember the Spirit Awards that year gave Best Feature to uh, the wrestler and obviously Best Actor to Mickey Rourke. And... Uh, I think the the song by Bruce Springsteen yeah. the, oh. for the closing credits, like, I mean, come on, like that that is an amazing song that exemplifies everything in the movie. Like, I, it, I mean, it it was really unfortunate because that that was easily my favorite movie that year, and I, I'm glad that The Dark Knight got a lot of nominations and Wally got a, no, a lot of nominations, but I mean, The Wrestler was the best movie that year, and it's not close, and and it, it was basically shut down to just his two nominations because. It was a little, it's, it's a little bit not the Academy's cup of tea. And I mean, I've come to sort of accept that, that my, my favorite movies are not going to be nominated there, regardless of what, of how good they are. Yeah. So just pulling up the, yeah. Cause the, yeah, the rest are only two films. And I think, unfortunately, 
I don't even think I have. Let me see where I. Yeah, I have it as of now on the website because this this movie has grown on me a lot more. This is I have it at number two of on our t- website, which will change, Terry. Just FYI, wait for my email. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, that the, sometimes the Academy doesn't get it right, and we I'm finding that out a lot more as I'm getting more into these Oscar stuff and more into movies and. Man, it's this is really unfortunate because if you look at the the uh, the best picture lineup for that year, you have Slumdog Millionaire, which is the winner, Benjamin Button, which I have not seen yet, uh, Frost Nixon, Milk, and The Reader. The Reader, <laughs> really? That's the best. That's one of the best movies of the year. I don't. I'm not 100 yeah, sold if, on if that they one. Did like a 10 years later voting on that, it would not look anything like that. You know, The Dark Knight and Wally both would have been nominated there. I Slumdog Millionaire. I don't know if that's really aged all that well. Uh, Benjamin yeah. Button is a classic like that's the Irishman it's got all the tech nominations but it's never going to win all that much mm-hmm. it was yeah th- that was I mean and it was that year that changed the rules for now now they have you know it, but then it was between 5 and 10 nominees and now I mean now I guess next year it's going to be uh, now exactly 10 again because th- they, they completely screwed up the best picture lineup that year basically yeah, because they realized, oh yeah, the Dark Knight. All this, <laughs> uh, we should we kind of missed the ball on that one. Who knows? Comic book movies actually can be good, I guess. But then years later, well, we I mean, finally got get a one. lot of nominations. They just didn't nominate for the important ones. So it's like, oh yeah, Heath Ledger. We'll give it that. We'll throw it that bone. But you know, yeah, Christopher yeah. Nolan. Now he doesn't deserve Best Director for like <laughs> completely re uh, you're changing the way that comic book movies are shot. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> we'll yeah, forget it, that. It, one. Just, it just got sound editing. That's. <laughs> What a slap in the face. I didn't even get best sound. That's that's, that's the crazy part. Uh, anyway, uh, we can obviously say the Oscars are probably the least valuable player <laughs> probably for this movie. The wrestler as well, as well as the Dark Knight. But let's move on to the worst performance of the film. And I think this is really, it was really tough for me to find out. What did, what did you find for the worst performance? Uh, so I'm going with Andrea Lange as Melissa. Uh because that is the girl that he meets uh, at the bar near the end. And uh, I, 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 <laughs> I think she's kind of bad. Like that, that performance should have been done by like a Malin Ackerman or something. But like the, when the lady walks in on them, like having sex in the bathroom, like she doesn't even seem like she knows that she's there. It's like, she thought she was actually doing porn. Like <laughs> it's just like a terrible performance. <laughs> I've never, I don't think I've ever seen that girl act before, uh, again since then, and I'm kind of glad. <laughs> yeah, geez, that's a good, that's a good, yeah, she didn't even respond to that. I had a, I had that up, and I was like, oh crap, my daughter's in the next room. Let me turn this down real fast. <laughs> it's not, that'd be bad for her to walk in. Uh, yeah, that's a, yeah, that was, that's, yeah, she didn't even react to that. <laughs> that well, she, was just like, she, she was just like, oh yeah, I, like she was actually, having, <laughs> like she was actually in a porn. Like it was like, <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. <laughs> We just needed a pizza. That'd be the best uh, and fix the cable <laughs> on that. Uh, my worst performance. That's actually, actually a really good one. Uh, I, I went with um, Tommy Rotten, which was the Mohawk wrestler that he fought the okay. first time you saw. Uh, the only reason why, it, when you have a look of a wrestler, he looks like a clearly like a wrestler, but his voice doesn't match the body type of thing. So it, it doesn't, quite like if he was in a wrestling company now i guarantee you he will probably have a, like a manager or somebody a spoke a, a mouthpiece for him so he'll just be like the big muscular figure 
and he'll have a, like a manager talk. He, like Brock Lesnar's the same way. He's obviously a, a, br- a brick house, but Paul Heyman talks for him because you don't want a high, squ- a big intimidating guy with a squeaky voice like Brock Lesnar has. Don't find me, Brock. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, that guy You're actually great. is a wrestler, right? I was looking at, I was looking him up. I think he actually is. I think, a yeah, I think I'm not exactly sure. I, yeah, the, he's Tommy probably a ton of wrestlers. Tommy yeah, Farr, I mean, yeah. there are a lot, there are a lot of pro or semi pro wrestlers in this, but I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I I, I kind of like his character, but yeah, he's not. I I, I mean, I guess it's not a great performance. That's but true. it's very nitpicky. He was only in there for that. He only spoke really one time, really. And uh, yeah, I mean, just... there's really no bad performance. I wouldn't even take that girl out of the movie. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would like to see Malin Ackerman or something <laughs> play the role. But like, good. I'm like, I'm like, shit. Like she, like yeah, I there's... mean. I mean, that's a great scene. Like he even mentions it in his acceptance speech. <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, we we did it. we broke all the rules. I won't say it, Terry. Don't worry. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, that's a good point. And I think that kind of transition. Nick Cage. You said the Ram. He'd probably play him. But I think Tommy Rotten is who I would love to see Nick Cage be as well. Is <laughs> fighting Mickey right. Rourke is Tommy Rotten. But just seeing Nick Cage with a mohawk, I think that would be pretty uh, pretty entertaining. I mean, I, I would definitely pay. Fifty dollars to see that in the theater, for sure. <laughs> yeah, Nick Cage. Nick Cage would have been perfect in this world, either as like a promoter or like a wrestler or somebody crazy. And I think there's a lot of stuff you can do, but he might have. Well, opened, he what might I have... think is interesting is that he he was like he's like ten years younger than Mickey Rourke. So the movie was written for him, and Cage would have been in like his late forties or so at the time. But Rourke was in his like late fifties, so. It, it would have made it interesting because Rourke would have been, you know, in his late thirties if he was famous in the eighty in the late eighties, and Cage would have been in his late twenties. Like it would have made a completely different dynamic. But Cage would have been. I, I could. I, there's some lines in this movie I could hear Nicholas Cage saying, like it's, I, especially like uh, the scenes with his daughter and stuff. Like the, those scenes, like I mean, th- those are Nicholas Cage scenes. Yeah, the, him, him and his daughter, man. The, those scenes, I can definitely see that. Like him, like just. Break, doing the break, broken down piece of meat and, and all the interactions with Evan yeah. Rachel Wood. I think that's a good call on that one. Yeah, I could definitely, I can, I can see pieces of Cage in this performance, but it, it doesn't really work now because a lot of the wrestlers who are still wrestling are in their forties. So it, Nick Cage in, the, in his forties doing this movie, it would be like, oh yeah, I'm, people are still doing that at that time. But seeing a guy in his fifties wrestling, that's a little more of obscure. Like it's like Jamie Moyer pitching for the Rockies in his fifty-year-old season. It's it's really weird to still see that happening. So, <laughs> okay, so Evan Rachel Wood was like twenty when this movie was shot. Like, did you think she was that young? I she does not look like she's that young in this movie. I always thought she was oh, like wow. more in her late twenties. I was thinking yeah. like twenty-five. That's what I thought originally. But. Yeah, and so I mean, yeah, the, the ages are all a little sort of ambiguous. I feel like for for all these actors. Yeah, that's kind of like the pieces of the woman conversation. <laughs> that's a look yeah, way sure. bigger age gap, bigger <laughs> age gap there. But um, I guess we should move on. I think they're. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess another perfect transition with your worst performance. I think the biggest stick man has to go to firefighters <laughs> or people who love firefighters. That's that's probably a. Probably the easy way there, but who do you think the biggest <laughs> stick man is of this film? This film. Well, I mean, it's got to be Randy, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I heck, the he... British term for like really horny is Randy. So yeah, he's really <laughs> Randy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Randy rams uh, like multiple women in this movie. I feel like uh, 
he just like oozes cool regardless of the situation. Like, I mean, he I don't know, he, he gets the hottest stripper in the in the joint to like fall for him. And like even in Mickey Rourke's acceptance speech, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll quote it. He says, you know, we, we got we were exposing things like, you know, drug use and steroids and banging the chick in the ass in the bathroom. You know, I mean, and that's that that is Randy the Ram. Like that that is him. And that I mean that's Mickey Rourke too. And um it, he's he's an absolute stick man. Like, I mean, he's still pulling that ass at, you know, in his late fifties. He looks like he should be in Metallica too, with like that hair, especially in the early like the 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 early photos. Like, I mean, he looks like early age Metallica. Like he he does not he does not look like he should be he should be slinging that, and he does because Randy the Ram is an absolute stick. Yeah, I was also thinking Guns and Roses you could throw him in like as Axl oh, Rose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, he that kind of fits perfectly that that the hair band uh, era of rock. Hair, hair metal or whatever it's called, but yeah, Metallica yeah, is a good call. Guns and Guns and Roses, uh, yeah, Stickman. I think it's definitely got to go with the Ram there because I obviously he's the only person really we see or that kind of activity. And obviously, it's implied that the girl really has a thing for firefighters. I don't think it's implied. I think it's clearly, yeah, he wakes up with fireman's boots on, like. So you know they they got it in twice in the movie because they did it in the bathroom and they went back to her place and got it in again. So yeah, at least one of them. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. And plus he's a famous, he's semi-famous. So people do know him. So he's going to get that, you know, that tale on the, on, uh, throughout his, uh, his career. So he's definitely the, the Ram and plus being like a party party or probably growing like in his wrestling career, you know, he, there are some good stories to tell on the road with him. So he had the Ram jam in more ways than one. Yeah. He got the Ram jam. <laughs> All right. The biggest douchebag. I, I thought of a couple ones here. I'm going to start off first. I think I don't want to take your your guy, but I, I'll go with the first. I think it's easily Wayne, the store manager here. Yeah, he's like, well, uh, aren't you going to? Isn't it Saturday the, gay, the day that you're sitting? Uh, you're sitting on people's faces. You're, and then uh, he's talking, is, that the, is that that much the tights cost? He's always putting down his wrestling. So obviously, he doesn't like. He's not a wrestling fan. He thinks wrestling's stupid and just completely like just belittles his employees right in front of him. And then he's like. Uh, can, I, can you knock? Can you knock? And I definitely just <laughs> watching porn on, in his office. And then he he knocks and he just freaking opens the door and like runs right into him. What a dick he move! Slams like, it right into him. Yeah. <laughs> like he just this guy just had a heart attack. He didn't know that he did, but it's still it's like geez, Louise, dude. Uh, freaking Wayne is really bad. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's that's absolutely. A douchebag. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's the clear number one for sure. <laughs> Uh, uh, any other any ones that you found? Well, I mean, obviously, Randy the Ram is a pretty big douchebag. I mean, he keeps like screwing up his relationship with his daughter just because he wants to do coke and you know, you know, <laughs> bang some random chick in a bathroom of a bar. Uh, but uh, my like low key douchebag is the old lady with the potato salad at the deli because she just like. She keeps making him go back like four different times to go change the amount just because it was like a maybe a quarter of a potato off the the weight. I'm like, uh, like that lady is a complete asshole. Like every time, like that lady needs to be slapped. I'm glad he actually ate her potato salad before going back, even though it's really not COVID friendly right now. But uh, you know, (laughs) but like then it's just like, yeah, screw you, lady. (laughs) And then it was perfect. Of course, he's like. Exactly. Boom. 
<laughs> yeah, that's. I also thought of the uh, the bachelor party guys up at the the club. The first time you you meet Marissa Tomei, he's like, yeah. Uh, yeah, what's the uh, like graduating in 1985? Like, is that the first that like what you can do better than my girl is graduating in 1985? Like, just putting her down the whole entire time, and the Ram comes and saves the day. Yeah, those guys you know, are pretty douchebags. Bachelor party guys are always the biggest douchebag, aren't they? I mean, <laughs> yeah, promising young woman. You get this one. You get leaving Las Vegas. Shit. Maybe, yeah, yeah. There's so many. Uh, that's a power rankings, right? The biggest part uh, bachelor party douchebags. There we go. Although in leaving Las Vegas, they're not actually bachelor party. I think they're like, they're like on, they're like seniors in high school. But at the same time, they basically they basically are like batch like uh they're like yeah I don't know frat douchebags. <laughs> Basically, we'll just round them into the same category. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, biggest douchebag. I think, yeah, Wayne is kind of the clear one, but I love the, the Rams there too. Uh, the Big Tim, High Roller, like Amazing Larry, Minor. I, I, hopefully I said all of them. If I did that without writing them down, I think that's pretty good. Uh, minor <laughs> character <laughs> of the film. Uh, so many uh, characters, some, some interesting characters here. Um, let's see, what do I write down here? Um, okay, yeah, uh, I have a gimmick one, but I'm gonna go with Big Chris, the bouncer at the uh, the, the strip club. Nice. Case he's like, Yeah, he, he knows the Ram, and he just even when the Ram's getting belligerent with Marissa Tomei or Cassidy at the club, he doesn't come up, he's plays, he plays it cool. He's like, Hey, Ram, knock it off, time gets get out of here. He doesn't come up there, you just hear his voice, and the Ram's like, Okay, I'm not gonna mess with you because we have a good relationship. I'm the guy bringing you drugs, basically, so your back can feel better. So big, the, the, big, big Chris has respect for the ramp, but also, hey, I, I'm the authority here. I don't want to beat you up, if I, but I will if I have to. So I, I like Big Chris in the movie. Didn't get a whole lot of, uh, you know, roles, but you know, Big Tim, Big Chris, it fits. So yeah, and you could tell they've had, they've had their run-ins in the past. So you know, oh yeah, they <laughs> probably they, respect there. <laughs> he, he's probably lost some. He's won some. You know, they, they probably got it. They probably had some uh, some wrestling matches. <laughs> they didn't get it in. I, I don't think. <laughs> probably, no, I didn't mean that, but you know what I meant. Oh, <laughs> uh, so my mine is uh, you only see him very briefly. It's Lenny, which is his landlord, <laughs> oh, uh, which is played by Mark Margolis, who uh, yeah. I guess you probably most know him as you know playing uh, Tio Salamanca in Breaking Bad, but. He's like really short and direct with Randy because like usually in that kind of role, the person who's trying to evict the main character is like a really, really ruthless asshole. But in this movie, like he, he, I mean, he's kind of, he's kind of nice. He's almost like a fatherly figure to Randy. He gives him a second chance. He's like, okay, that was it. You're like, you're paying now. And then he knows that he can't, he can't go do something stupid. I really like what Lenny stands for. And I mean, even though we only see him for like maybe 10 seconds, like, I mean, that, that guy always has stuck out to me as one of the most interesting uh, minor characters in the movie. Yeah. I, I was actually thinking like, I, I like his one, his opening, he's carrying his bags. Like you pay, you get the, you get to open up the house and just, he doesn't even let like, the Ram speak. He's like, no, I'm not going to play this game with you. I'm going to have to be, uh, give you some tough love, tough love right there. So uh, that's a good call. Good call there. Another one that I thought of was the guy with the uh, the the artificial leg. He's like, use his leg, use his leg, use his leg. That's a great. <laughs> then he hits him with the leg on the case. He's like, yeah, it's, it's freaking freaking crazy. That, that that's a fun scene. I also kind of like his drug dealer. I don't know what his name is, but like th that guy, that guy knew his shit. Like he had all. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he obviously was jacked as shit. But I mean, he, he like. 
he just like rattled off everything he has. He's and you know he like he even gives him a deal. Like he gave him the last two bottles for free. I mean, like th that guy's kind of awesome. And he's just like he's like you're my man, boy. Like you know, because he's like like even like like uh like Tommy. He like it's one of his fans. It's like they grew up watching this guy, so they're like you know you're my boy. So yeah, hell, I'll, I'll give it to you. You know, he's like yeah. an idol of all these guys who grew up watching him. Uh, that, that yeah, th those kind of guys. Like yeah, a lot of those guys, which I actually think that. I feel like Chris Benoit was in one shot of this movie, and I, 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 I'm yet to actually confirm, but I really think he was. But I mean, he could have been crazy if you know if he was still alive and has all the uh, negativity of you know not surrounding him anymore. But he would have been interesting to have in this movie as a like be maybe even as the Ram because he was very charismatic too. Uh, let's see here, Chris Benoit. I know that. Uh, I mean, I think it was just like one shot. I'm like, I feel like that's Chris Benoit, but I, I've, I've, I've never actually seen it confirmed, and he's not listed on the IMDb or anything. Mm, this he 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 um he died in 2007. Oh, so, so well, so it would have been the year it was shot, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, that that okay. So it probably isn't him then. But yeah, but yeah, there's one guy that looks a lot like him. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that's. Tough. I'm not 100 sure. The um, it, it's kind of hard because even WWE doesn't even recognize Chris Benoit anymore because of what happened, what he did with you know murdering his wife and his right, kid, right. his son. So they don't even recognize him as at all. That's one of the blacklisted guys. Like even on their WWE network, they don't even like show his matches or anything like that. They don't even recognize that he's a wrestler, which is it, I get because you can't. You know, you can't have that person in your front. You know, something that he did is so, tr you know, blatantly bad. Like, people in the front and center on your, your this public traded company, which is, but it also sucks because he was a fantastic thing. But you know, what his deeds off outside of the ring kind of overshadow what he did. So, makes sense. Yeah. Um, but there is actually a wrestler that's currently wrestling in WWE in this film. So when he goes back and just kind of visits, you know, the wrestling match, the guy that asks like. Oh, you want a beer? You want you want to get you a drink? That guy who hugs him, the, the black guy in the movie, that guy, his name is R Truth. He's actually in WWE and he's the current twenty four seven champion right now. So he's still wrestling in his forties. He's like forty five or something like that. So he but, must have been nothing at this point. Like this must have been. Like, yeah, he, he was. Uh, he was going back and forth. I think his indie name was Ron Killings because that's his real his like his real name, but uh, or his like his other his outside of WWE name. But yeah, he uh, he was he was he was there for a while, then got fired, then came back, and now he's there because he can make Vince McMahon laugh. That's pretty much why he has a job because he Vince McMahon thinks he's funny, so he has a job until he can't make him laugh. I guess that's how the story goes, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, our truth. That's pretty movie. cool. Yeah, hey, I would love a yeah. I don't know how good a job I would do if I can't if if I don't make the boss laugh, then I better restart and look for a new job. I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, you guys do your. What do you guys do next after minor characters? Uh, favorite scene. Oh yeah, favorite scene. Okay, favorite scene. What's your What's your favorite scene there, Todd? Forgot about this category. Uh, to be honest, with you. the whole movie's so I, good. <laughs> I have three that I wrote down. I I mean. The actual my my actual favorite scene is probably the very last scene with Pam, like uh, before he goes into the match at the end, because 
you know, he's like, you know, the, the only place I get hurt is out there. The world don't give a shit about me. He's like, in there, that's where I belong. And I honestly can't hear Sweet Child of Mine without thinking of that scene. And that's really strange because that song is everywhere. It's in a lot of movies. That's in a lot of commercials. It's in a lot of everything. But I, I every time I hear the intro to that song, I'm just like, oh, like the Rams about to go into the match. Like, because I, that made such a profound impact on me. That scene is, it's, and, and I think, I think that like when she's like, I'm here, I'm really here. I thought that was the best line that I had heard in a movie in a long time. And it's still like, uh, it still gets me to this day. Yeah, man, that, that scene, there's a couple of moments that almost brought me to tears, of course, in this movie, but that's definitely one of them that I'm here. I'm actually here. And he chooses to go out. Like that's, that's sad because you know, he's so used to being rejected his whole life. And the only thing that's not rejecting him is the, the fans, the pop of the crowd. And so he chose to do that. And then he looks up and see if she, she was still there and she wasn't. So he, you know, who knows how the movie would have ended. We guess we can talk about that later, but uh, yeah, that's a great scene. I love that one as well. That's, that's in the running for me. Uh, I, I think another one, I don't know. I like the, the hardcore match where he's getting the staples taken out and they kind of do those flashbacks the 14 minutes later and they yeah. keep going back and forth. It kind of, it, again, another thing that that documentary you watched, it's kind of how they're talking through the match and they're kind of going back and forth between the, the segments of like showing the actual footage. And they're actually talking the, the, through it. It kind of reminded me it, you know, there's similarities to how that's shot in a way, but seeing, you know, the after effects and then seeing the brutality, how they got there, kind of play out i thought that was that's right before his heart attack that's one of my favorite scenes this is how they were able to do it and he's like uh, i don't look like much but uh you know I, I can at least do one against the ropes but uh not much running for me and uh but we, we can get it done how do you feel about staples What's, <laughs> what staples what what are you talking about i've never done that before <laughs> and the guy staples a five dollar bill to his forehead like that's that's hardcore that's hardcore well he does yeah and then he's like chest chest arm and i'm like damn this guy's nuts <laughs> yeah jeez louise yeah that's uh that's one of my favorite ones too uh hardcore matches are no joke i don't not my favorite ones i don't like watching them because i'm like oh, that's just a little too violent for me but anyway it was cool for this movie anyway yeah absolutely. What's, what's some of the other ones you had uh well we've mentioned it before the the monologue that he has at the beach where you know I'm a old broken down piece of meat and I just don't want you to hate me. Is that okay? Uh, and then, you know, they, they go back and they end up like breaking into that room and have a <laughs> dance. Like that, that is all. Yeah. I mean, there's just tears like that. That entire sequence is just tears. And I'm pretty sure that's the same exact room that like most of like boardwalk empire was shot at. It, def it definitely looks like it, like they fixed it up for that show or something, but that, that whole sequence is, is just, it's a beautiful thing, and and then that's why Mickey Rourke got his Oscar nominations because he those were his Oscar moments that should have won him the Oscar. I don't think it's Sean true. Penn had a moment like that in Milk, but yeah, um, that's a good point. <laughs> and the other one, I, I love the scene where he meets um, he meets Pam, and they go to the bar where they're they're you know like I mentioned it earlier when they're when they say you know yeah 90s sucked and they're singing round and round. Uh, like uh, uh, that's just a great sequence and a, gr a great scene where they're just like totally themselves and they realize that they're with somebody else who is also at the uh the end of their career and they could just like relax and be themselves with somebody who appreciates the same music they do because nobody else that they work with does because they all were born you know when though that music was popular kind of you know so it's 
that, yeah. that that's a great scene. And like that, they're, they're, everything with with Pam and Randy is just amazing. Yeah, it, it's also kind of like you can definitely find comparisons between Pam and Randy in this movie quite easily. They both are like they're really you know, Wham's fairy like just shuts them off out you know because he she's the one got hurt too. She has other stuff and it, it's it's sucks it sucks that ending is. I wish they could be together, but you know who knows what happens after credits roll. I don't think I think Randy's either still wrestling or he has a heart attack. He you know something happens to him after the credits start rolling. But it's definitely the, the, any scene with them on camera together is the best that this movie is. Like this movie is fantastic throughout, but when they're on screen, it's uh, great together. I, I think but another he, one he actually might you think he actually might be alive. Like I think he dies the moment. No, he I think he, I think he dies. I, I, basically, that's why they uh, don't show anything. That's basically he just like he's yep, okay. I'm done. Yeah, I think he's dead too. I think he dies right there. Okay, um, yeah, because he, he could hardly do. I mean, he almost died before he even climbed the rope. I mean, like yeah, okay. I think that if if Pam was there still watching the match, he wouldn't have gone done. Yeah, jumped. he would have just pinned him when when Ayatollah asked him. He's like, "Yeah, Ram, just pin me." Like I, I think he would have just done it then. Yeah, I mean, and, people, and the fans would have been okay with it because they're seeing two of these old wrestlers actually do their stuff. They'd probably be disappointed. They don't want. They didn't see his finishing move, but. It's better than seeing the character of a person die in the ring. That, that has happened in real life. People have died in the ring in front of people. And yeah, it's not, that's not really fun <laughs> for the Yeah, I mean, and so, some, some of that old doing that finishing move, they, it could be just as anticlimactic as, you know, the end of the video game when he does the Ram Jam to the kids character. You know, it's like, it's like, it's like, oh, Ram Jam. Okay, it's over. Yep. And oh, that's it. <laughs> Yeah, because that's yeah his finisher. He, he was it was done, but he didn't have to do that. It's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, but yeah, that's a great scene. I think anything with Evan Rachel Wood. Yeah. Too. I know we haven't talked about her yet, but that scene where she was like, "I'm done." Like that's, whew, it's powerful, man. Like that. That was a great. Like I'm surprised she didn't get any like nominated for the Oscar for that performance. So, yeah, it was a little smaller. And Marissa Tomei is by far has a little bit more to do in this movie, but Evan Rachel Wood is really. A, a well, she's fantastic. She she's is fantastic. Ab- I mean, I, I, that, that was like, if we were recasting the movie, that'd be the hardest one for me to come up with somebody for, because like nobody has that much emotional maturity at that age and could do those kind of roles like Evan Rachel Wood can. Yeah, fantastic. I, I wish she could do more stuff. You know, she hardly, you hardly ever see her or anything. At least I haven't anyway. But she's great. Uh, fantastic actress there too. True the blood. Troop. Yeah, that's why I haven't seen it. <laughs> um. <laughs> Let's go into our conspiracies and our conspiracies, flaws, things, you know, nitpicks or whatever. I'll start off. You mentioned the Sweet Child of Mine song. I guarantee you they don't play that song in actually, unless it's like a dark match where they actually don't televise it. Because Ring of Honor, the company that they were wrestling for, is actually a televised company. They're very small. They're way smaller than – they're like an indie promotion, but they're on TV on some – districts of across america but uh, but i don't think they get the rights to sweet child of mine being such a small indie wrestling promotion possibility was that but, actually being recorded though <laughs> like i feel like that was also i mean even though it was the biggest match that you had been in in 20 years i feel like that also might not have been on tv anywhere see that's that's a good point too because we don't i obviously it's a movie and we don't, we're not seeing the actual film for TV, but it could have been just like a house show, which would basically would be a non televised thing. It's just like them going around the country. 
and having these matches for the, the fans in that area. So that, that's probably what it is. But if it was on TV, I don't think yeah, that, that song gets played. Yeah. That, that's a good, yeah, that's a good call though. But yeah, that's one of that I immediately saw because I know ROH and it's like, it's, it's basically like the Everett Aqua Sox compared to like WWE. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's a minor, minor, minor league. It's like a still a promotion, but it's pretty uh, lower tier, but a lot of great wrestlers come out of that company though. But that's one of them that I saw. What, how about you? Uh, well, I have written down. Uh, so when she pulls up to like the place to go shopping with the Ram, she parks right in front of a parking meter and she doesn't pay. And this is like one o'clock on a Saturday. They absolutely would still be like those meters would still be on. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Notice that. And uh, yeah, I was like, uh, what? <laughs> I even looked up like what are the New Jersey laws in uh, in for parking meters and yeah they they're absolutely op open until like six p.m. on Saturdays so that, that's a flaw. <laughs> I wanted to make sure. Um, uh, also, there's a flaw because uh, in the in one of my favorite scenes, uh, Randy the Ram does throw shade at Kurt Cobain. He says that. Yeah, I was, I was like, what the hell, really? Yeah, he's like, yeah, that Co that Cobain pussy, you know, came and ruined everything. And I'm like, no. He did not, but okay. I mean, I still love you, Randy. Um, I also want to know, do, do you think that he actually thought that that green jacket was going to please his daughter? Because there's part of me that thinks, because I mean, I like, I always thought that he got it, but as like a joke, and then he got the peacoat to be like the finisher, like it actually shows in the movie. But there's part of me that thinks he actually thought that she would really dig the bright green jacket with an S and then he got the peacoat as like a backup as if like he might be really wrong and oh, yeah. uh, no, that's exactly what happened because even like she didn't even take it with him somehow he was carrying that green jacket the ass like after and they were walking up to her house and they say goodbye he's holding that jacket as she's leaving into the house like it, right it, but, i mean but, like when he when he bought both of them do you think he got which one do you think he got as the the backup <laughs> like or oh, yeah, he got the peacoat for the jet the backup he clearly, so, so I think he, he, so I got, you think that he actually thinks that the uh, like the jacket, the, the S jacket, is the one that she would like. Oh yeah, and I I, I think okay. that is because it most resembles his color palette for his his wrestling gear. Right. Yeah, and and I get that, but I mean, I feel yeah. like some I don't know. It, it's it's a little unclear because I I've always figured that he got that as like a joke because he realized that he was a joke when she brought up the idea of getting the peacoat. Mm. and so he got that and he gives that to her he's like yeah that's not my real gift this is my real gift and then it's like obviously something really interesting having that perspective that you just said actually that's is kinda... the way i've always thought but i mean this the, this time watching it i thought that maybe he actually thought that that was the best <laughs> the best i, I always like six or seven times i've always i've thought it the other way i thought that was the actual gift that he wanted to get her but he's like i'll just get this other coat just in case she doesn't like it I thought legit like it, the S for a Stephanie. Yeah. Which is most probably the most cringeworthy line. It's the S for Stephanie. Oh, look, yeah. it's got an S on it. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Maybe. Yeah, that's Go with your gut. <laughs> Go with your gut. Yeah. That's a, yeah, not, yeah, that jacket's not good. Not good. <laughs> um, one thing I did too, that video game, the, uh, what's it called? Wrestling, wrestling jam. So, there's only been like three or three companies that have had video games after them. WWE, 
WCW and TNA, uh, total nonstop action wrestling, not the other thing that you're probably thinking of. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's called Impact Wrestling now. But that uh, TNA only had one video game based off of it, and uh, nothing after that. It didn't make so much money. But WWE has several games every year to basically Madden up for wrestling games. Uh, so he would have been a pretty big promotion. If Ring of Honor is in this, you would have to imagine WWE probably would have been in it too. He probably could have been in that company uh, to have a video game based off of him uh, called Wrestle Jam, Wrestling Jam. So he could probably be kind of like a different version of Hulk Hogan. And the Ayatollah could have been like the Iron Sheik, which was their kind of rivalry with a guy. They always come out with a flag and, and stuff like that too. Uh, like very he, this he could be basically like a Hulk Hogan type of character in WWE, and it, so I'm assuming big this video game, WWE video game. So that's kind of my uh, conspiracy theory, roughly on that. I, I did read that Hulk Hogan was approached at one point to I bet. In role. <laughs> yeah, that's that would be Which horrible, would be weird. Like I couldn't imagine him being directed by Darren Aronofsky, but I mean, if <laughs> he obviously fits the profile. I'm a broken down piece of meat, brother. I can't see him say it. No, he's got uh, his daughter. They could have been in the movie too, right? <laughs> no, not his daughter. Hogan does not know best. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but Chris Hemsworth is supposed to play Hulk Hogan in a. Uh, oh, that's in, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, Hemsworth in a Netflix movie, and Bradley Cooper is supposed to play Vince McMahon. That's well, I didn't know that part. That I mean, that's yeah, pretty I, good. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, Vince has to get this hot, hot, hot-looking guy to play be him. Yeah, of course. But well, Bradley, that's like how Robert Downey Jr. was like rumored to play Hugh Hefner at one point. I mean, he, I mean, he should have. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Instead, uh, ended up playing him. You know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I guess I will reveal my conspiracy theory about him not winning his Oscar now. So, from everything I've heard on podcasts and stuff like that. Uh, this movie came out close to, or his Oscar push and everything when he got his nomination and stuff like that too, happened close to WrestleMania, which is basically the Super Bowl for WWE. And they were kind of, they were trying to see if Mickey Rourke wanted to have a match at WrestleMania to promote the movie, his and also the event. They love having their big celebrities kind of push envelopes. They've they they've hinted at like they've had like. Dennis Rodman has fought fought in WCW before. Carl Malone has also fought there too, and a bunch of other celebrities um, come throughout the years to uh, kind of help push the box office for those ticket sales. And they wanted Mickey Rourke to fight Chris Jericho, which is a very guy who's still wrestling today in AEW. But uh, Chris Jericho, the lead singer Fozzie, as well. I don't know if you listen to Fozzie, but uh, he's it's very interesting. Anyway. So they were trying to like promote this match, and Jericho was saying stuff, and Mickey Warwick doesn't realize that it's he's just trying to you know try to set up this match to try to promote it. So he thinks Chris Jericho is being serious. So even his publicist said, "No, you don't want to do this match type of thing. You don't want to do it." And eventually, they don't have an actual one-on-one match at all. But he still appears at WrestleMania. And the reason why they don't want them to appear is because he's probably hurt his Oscar chances because now it's kind of a promotional thing and it could be taken as a joke type of thing oh I, well i was just saying like you think that had like a could be similar uh to like when j-lo did the halftime show at the super bowl like as promotion for her oscar run last year i mean 
it's I think it's a little it's a little deeper than that, but I mean, there's also the the well, fact there's that also oh, there's more to the Mickey Rourke thing too because well, he actually he was, he was a he was actually a um, like a semi pro boxer in the '90s, and maybe he didn't want to mess up his record or something. Like, I mean, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of layer. I didn't know anything about that. He no, was he actually he actually got in the ring at WrestleMania too. Okay. So there, so the more that goes into it was that you know Chris Jericho said something on a talk show, I, I believe, and trying to like fight Mickey Rourke. You know, Mickey Rourke it doesn't have it. You know, whatever. Blah blah blah. And a lot of the wrestling community does support this movie. It's how accurate it is, obviously, with the blading technique, you know, how he busted himself open and stuff like that with the blade. A lot of, and the, the steroid use and a lot of the hookers in the bathroom. It's very accurate stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, but like, there he's trying to set up this match and try to promote this to try to like get the biggest box office, biggest paycheck, you know, for the, that, the rest of that event. And Mickey Rourke doesn't necessarily understand that. That's what he's trying to do to set us sell tickets. He thinks he's being serious. So somehow Mickey Rourke says, okay, I'll be there, but I'm bringing some of my buddies. And he shows up with three UFC fighters with him, like legit hardcore freaking boxing. They're sitting in the front row. He's sitting there with his cowboy hat or his little hat or whatever, chewing his little toothpick in the thing. And Chris Jericho's match comes on. He doesn't fight Mickey Rourke. He fights three different legends. He fights, I believe it was Ricky Steamboat. Uh, and then it was, I believe, maybe Ric Flair and somebody else, and I can't remember uh, his name, but uh, it was pretty. De- it was a decent match, and then he starts pointing at Mickey Rourke, and Mickey Rourke gets in the ring, and you know he, and freaking, freaking punches Jericho in the face and gives him a black eye, <laughs> and that's the whole thing. So he actually <laughs> stepped foot in the the, the match and put, threw a punch, and that could have been why, Chris or he didn't get his Oscar because now it's just uh, petty because WWE doesn't get taken seriously type of thing. And you know, wrestling's dumb and fake. And now he just stepped in foot of the ring and did that. That's so bad. <laughs> that's, that's the conspiracy theory though. That's, that's what people think. How, how much do the Academy voters actually watch like uh, those wrestling, but wrestling? That's the biggest event. And the trends too. Like it could be like a lot of people like, Oh, Ricky Roar accepted it's headline news for TMZ or whatever. And he sort of cheap shotted one of the top names in the, in the business. Yeah, who, like I said, he's a boxer. Of course, he's going to throw a punch. Yeah, and that's <laughs> and that the, the the fans pop so hard for that too because they're like yeah. But Jericho was nervous apparently a little bit because of the UFC fighters being there, and then eventually they talked to him like you he can't they don't make you work just don't step in the foot the ring with those box those fighters or whatever. And he, they didn't, but still at the same time, it, it's kind of interesting. If I find the link for that conversation, like all the details play out, I'll send that to you. So it's pretty interesting stuff to hear. So, all right. Yeah, that's that's the that's the biggest one. Who knows if he lost his uh, his Oscar because of throwing a cheap shot to Chris Jericho in WrestleMania? Hey, I mean, I'm all for conspiracy theories, so that's awesome. <laughs> Worst things can happen, I guess. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know. There's. I don't really know of any other conspiracy theories that this movie has. So I love talking conspiracy theories. I think this has actually been one of the fun, more fun films to talk about that I've had a deep dive with you. So uh, for all those different little interesting nuggets of information with the wrestling community, um, let's go to the MVP. It's let's kind of MVP LVP of the film. 
I'll, uh, I'll start off first. MVP for me. I think the authenticity of the movie has to, is one of the most valuable players for the film because of how you know authentic and obviously big wrestling fans and not just wrestling fans but wrestlers themselves have told have said stuff like it's actual legit real and um one of the documentaries i had watched called the resurrection of jake the snake roberts which was a big 80s wrestler as well you always carry a bag over his shoulder with a big giant snake in it uh you know he went through you know his rehab where he was basically the ram so jake the snake roberts you know he, he was a guy basically like the ram you know going and still wrestling way past his prime you know and broken down out drinking all night doing coke and, and all this crazy stuff so uh, you know, he changed his life around and, you know, seeing, you know, hearing, watching that documentary and seeing the comparisons between like these old wrestlers past the prime, just doing what they know. They're not just addicted to the drugs, what they're putting in the body, but also that pop, they don't know what to do anything else. So seeing that is also kind of like, it's sad, but it's also very real at the same time. Uh, so something that's definitely the most valuable thing is how accurately they depict all these different things. Like they talk about blading to the, the different uh, wrestling moves and stuff like that too. It's, it's very, very real in that aspect. So that's definitely one of my most valuable players um, of the film. So who do you credit to being uh, how it got that way? Oh, how, Ooh, that's a good, that's a good, uh... I want to say, you know, I don't know the whole making of the, the backstory of the making of it, but I would have to probably put Aronofsky uh, probably partially credit because he knew that he wanted Mickey Rourke to be kind of pretty accurate into this. So he had dropped not just comparisons to wrestling, but also himself too, or to Rourke himself meaning. So I, I think Aronofsky would have to do something like that as well, especially you're telling a story, a wrestling movie, which never, you know, there hasn't been a real actual like story like this played out. Usually a lot of the wrestling movies are kind of fake, like the David Arquette movie, like the regular rumble or whatever. It's very cheesy comedic. There's not a whole lot of like this kind of wrestling being taken seriously. So they're trying to tell the actual after effects of the film. So for the most authentic story, Aronofsky probably is the MVP. Just for yeah, I mean, you, you know a lot about method actors, but I feel like if there is a method director, it's probably Aronofsky. <laughs> Mostly, yeah, that's probably safe to say, right? Uh, my MVP, I went with Robert Siegel, who is the writer of the movie. Oh, yeah. Because I, I feel like that he's probably the one who has the most authenticity that puts uh, is put into the movie and... He went on to write and direct Big Fan, which is another just like painful sports movie that uh, is also sort of a comedy. Like he he's a, a like a really interesting writer, and uh, the screenplay here I feel like is the most underrated part of it because without him, the movie would not have existed. And he wrote the part for Nicolas Cage, which makes him like Hall of Fame in my book. But this is like I, I feel like everything about this movie just feels so real and i feel like a person who's making like basically his first major screenplay i, I this is i it, it's got to be mostly accredited to him i mean and obviously giving a shout out to aronofsky and mickey rourke because that trio makes the movie one of the top movies ever so but I, i'll give it to robert siegel because i i feel like i'll i'll, I'll never actually say his name again on this podcast <laughs> 
until we, no. until we get a big fan. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk big fan uh, football season. Be my first time watching. That's where I'm saving it so that we can get into football season. We might invite the invite the other guys to do a good conversation about that, a group conversation about that film. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah, LVP uh, for this movie. I'll start this one off again. I think it's retail jobs. They suck. The customers are horrible. A little bit more. A little bit less. A little bit more. Do I know you? Do I all these pest screen questions? Having their bosses, you know, looking at porn in their offices when you're just all you're wanting as an employee is to ask for more hours, and they're just going to be dicks to you. So I think real retail jobs. You know, I think that's the biggest LVP of the movie. But if I had, and also getting old, uh, getting old sucks too. Oh, so yeah. both those things are pretty lousy. Well, I'll drink to that. So <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Cheers, brother. My LVP. Uh, other than the Academy, we're snubbing it for best original song and best picture. Great call. Great call. I would say the salon lady who was doing his hair because evidently <laughs> last time he went to her, he fried his hair. And if you're a salon like specialist, you should not be like the one famous person that comes into your ratty little uh, you know salon. You should not be screwing up their hair. So if he's actually complaining about it, Mickey Rourke with his big old like long locks, like yeah. Just seeing him yeah. with his, his 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 little glasses, reading a little magazine with his hair hair all foiled up. That's that's <laughs> like a shot right there, man. That's that's. <laughs> so how's your husband? Ah, oh, work, 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 work. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that yeah. the next shot too. He goes into this this the salon is like, oh hey babe, the number five's open or whatever, and just goes back to her phone call. It's like they yep, you, we know you. You go ahead. <laughs> I love that. I can't imagine him getting his hair done that much. I mean, couldn't he dye his own hair for really cheap? I mean, that's really all he does, right? He lets his just grow. <laughs> that is true, but his only interaction with people is on these little, you know, he doesn't have anybody that he goes hangs out with, really. Maybe that's his hangout time. Who knows? Other than the strip club. Yeah, that's true. And that's just like, you know, <laughs> paying for his pay, paying for his social time, I guess. That's, that's pretty much what it is, yeah. Well, and playing the game with the little kid. I mean, and that's kind of actually a tragic scene because that scene lasts like really, it's like a really short scene. And then the kid's just like, all right, dude, I got to go. Like, I'm tired of like reliving your old glory days with you kind of. Yeah. This is in Call of Duty 4 when they actually <laughs> go to Iraq in the film. He really yeah. specified that. If I remember correctly, that game did not do so well. Now that's an interesting conversation for yeah, that's a conspiracy theory right there, man. There, like, how well did I call how was, Duty? Yeah, how well portrayed in this movie? Oh. Yeah, that's that, that. You know what? Now we're talking about Call of Duty Four. <laughs> what? Which one was Call of Duty Four? Oh wait, never mind. It's Call of Duty Four: Modern Warfare, which is actually the best one in the franchise. So ignore everything I just said. It's actually a really good game. It did not flop. It got remastered for the PS4 and everything. So it's a great game, really. <laughs> I totally, yeah. I don't know why I didn't think about that because I don't know. I don't call it Call of Duty Four. That's why I call it Modern Warfare. Yeah, it's Modern Warfare, yeah. Anyway, uh, now that I put my foot in my mouth, uh, we're gonna go to. Uh, uh, our quote of the day. I have a couple quotes here. I'll start off first. Um, they're not from, you know, they're not from the movie or anything like that. They are from people who are, you, you necessarily don't associate with wrestling, but have been in wrestling, uh, as uh, celebrities in wrestling for some time. The first one is from Andy Kaufman. Uh, there's no drama like wrestling. 
And that, that is pretty true. It's a soap opera played out in a sport. So, and you, you know, you know, wrestling is fake. It's choreographed stuff, but you can't fake falls. You can't fake a lot of the stuff they did in the film. I obviously see some of the brutality that these, these people are doing. So pretty, pretty crazy for me. But the next one is from Billy Corgan, the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins, also the owner of, uh, what's that, NWA Wrestling or Power, which you can find that on YouTube when they actually get back on. Up and, and the owner of, like, the most uh, Todd has been compared to looking like this person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so Todd has said, uh, no. <laughs> so Billy Corgan, wrestling is one of the best truly rebellious American things left. So thank you, Billy Corgan, for that quote, and any Kaufman for that matter. So. All right. My quote uh, comes from Mickey Rourke in his acceptance speech at the Film Independence <laughs> Spirit Awards, which we will be voting on in yes. so. a couple uh, weeks. We're going to do our episode on that, too. So, so when he was accepting his uh, award in the most epic fashion that is now just legendary at this point, he, he talked about his boy and who is now the man, Eric Roberts. He's like, yeah. Eric Roberts is probably the best actor I've ever worked with. I don't know why in the last 15 years, no one has given him a chance to show his shit again. He'll probably be arrested by the end of today. But anyway, and that, and that and that's just, that's just Mickey Rourke going off the cuff. That is him doing his thing. He is him one level. It is a hundred percent. And that is his charisma. To a I, I, I love it also too, because in that same sequence, he looks back. It's like, I'm just amazed. Like the people who gave me this award, which is Philip Super Hoffman and Laura Dern. He's like, yeah. There's so much talent between you two. Uh, you three. I don't know who you are, darling, but uh, it's just the lady. it was just the girl walking up with the award to give to him. That's like it's just spring. And oh, he, yeah. he never he never prepared a speech that whole Oscar season. It was amazing. Like yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman clearly was just like just lost his shit right there. He's like oh my, like seeing their reaction was just priceless, man. Like that was. Aaron watching him do it was just like, dude, this is my dream. Like this is my guy oh, doing the, doing this, and he's like saying that. And I'm like a really a tough director. Yeah. You know? And he flipped Aronofsky flipped him off at the Golden Globes too. Like for saying that same <laughs> yeah. thing. He's like, oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's so good, man. They're all the actors away. <laughs> yeah. And what he's like, yeah, you he'll be he break you down, you know. <laughs> so funny. Oh my god. That's that's crazy. I, I love yeah, this his whole, I watched like leading up to this, I just watched a bunch of his awards, accepting speeches. And so I'm like, man, he could totally, he, he was definitely scripted during the golden globes, scripted, loosely scripted, but the spirit awards. Nope. I want to know what he was drinking. That's what I want to know. Like, what was well, he on? Kind of drunk at that award show. Like at the BAFTAs, he sort of was the same way too. Yeah. But, but it's so crazy though. Cause he went up against Sean Penn the whole award season, he was winning a lot of it, other than the Oscar, really. Well, I know. Well, I mean, well, Sean Penn won the SAG and the Critics' Choice and the That's Oscar. True. And the conspiracy theory is that Sean Penn only shows up the award shows that he knows he's already winning. So he only showed up at the three that he won that year. He didn't show up at the other ones, which the Spirit Awards, those are his people. <laughs> like, yeah, that is true. Uh, so, I mean... That I mean, that's the conspiracy theory of all conspiracy theories. If you want Sean Penn to show up, tell me he's winning, and then he'll be, he'll be there. <laughs> hey, Sean, you got something on your nose, bud. Um, I don't know what you got, <laughs> what you got there, but uh, anyway, guys, this was been a fun deep dive conversation. I'm looking forward to doing some more of these with you, man. Like this has been a really fun conversation. Yeah, this is. I mean, 
it's one of my favorite movies. I'm glad some I can actually share one of these with somebody else because like <laughs> other than Sideways, there's no crossover with like the ultimate favorite movies of anybody uh, on this podcast. So this yeah, we'll yeah, definitely. We'll have to like compare notes because I've updated my top 100, which eventually I'm thinking about just doing like maybe like a big giant top 100 reveal. But I don't want to just do it by myself. I kind of want to do it with some other people, like reveal 10 of 10 movies at a time and then discuss that then do the next 10 and discuss that together. And so who knows? I might invite you on for that. That might be a fun conversation as well. Oh, yeah. so, I, I don't know. I, I'm, 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 I'm happy with myself. And Air Force One is not my one number number one hundred movie of all time. It's definitely not that anymore. I promise you, everybody. No, my top ten is really solid. Like, I think I, if I have it now, it's definitely The Departed's up there. The Wrestlers number ten. I know that. Uh, the Departed number one. I think you have to throw in. I think I throw Empire in there. Shawshank, Twelve Angry Men, Sunset Boulevard, um, Psych. I, I don't know. Silence of the Lambs. Like I think I can. You know, I can't remember exactly everything. It's really but complicated if we start Merloing movies <laughs> as Ooh. we go along. <laughs> that's that's because then you're like, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, okay, okay, no Merlot. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, no Merlot. Yeah, that'd be fun. We should we should do something like that. I, I think it's always a fun episode ideas for episodes. It's just reveal our top 100 and discuss it. That'd be fun. Yeah, uh, maybe just break it down every couple of months. Just uh, here's another ten. Throw it out there. But anyway, guys, uh, thank you guys so much for joining us on this deep dive conversation of 2008's The Wrestler. A lot of fun conversation, nerding about not just wrestling, Mickey Rourke's acceptance speeches, but also this amazing film that's one of the best, our favorite movies of all time. I definitely would love to hear what Zach and Terry have to say about this movie, so hopefully we can hear their thoughts shortly, even if it's just a little snippet. But anyway, guys, thank you so much for watching. Until next time, my name is Adam, and this is Todd. We'll talk to you later. Have you ever seen a one-trick pony in fields so happy and free? If you've ever seen a one-trick pony, then you've seen me. Have you ever seen a one-legged dog making his way down the street? If you've ever seen a one-legged dog, then you've seen me. Then you've seen me. Come and stand at every door And you've seen me Always leave with less than I had before And you've seen me But I can make you smile When the blood it hits the floor Tell me friend Can you ask for anything more Tell me can you ask for anything more Scarecrow filled with nothing but dust and weeds If you ever seen that scarecrow then you've seen me If you ever seen a one-armed man Punching at nothing but the breeze If you ever seen a one-armed man then you've seen me Then you've seen me I come and stand at every door and you've seen me always leave with less than I had before And you've seen me, but I can make you smile when the blood it hits the floor Tell me friend, can you ask for anything more? 
Tell me, can you ask for anything more? These things that have comforted me, I drive away. This place that is my home, I cannot stay. My only faith's in the broken bones and bruises I display. Have you ever seen a one-legged man trying to dance his way free? If you ever seen a one-legged man, then you seen me.